welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. We're going to come to the teaching of the Word of God now. I ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word as we come to Luke chapter 24 and the final portion of verses, verses 50 to 53. So as a gathered body of believers, let us hear once again the Word of God. Luke wrote, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's mighty word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the, the majestic conclusion to Luke's wonderful gospel. We pray, Father, that we may understand in greater depth than ever before the power and meaning of the the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, so seldom looked into. But now, Lord, we have the chance as this gospel closes today to gaze into this great event. Help us to know not only what happened that day on the Mount of Olives near Bethany, but also what happened in our spiritual lives, our personal journey with Jesus, how much today is altered for us because of what happened that day. We ask for you to open your word. I ask to be clothed with the Holy Spirit as any preacher would ask. Do a work among your people through your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, today we uh, complete our study of Luke, this wonderful gospel. It has, I think, been filled for me as a Bible teacher with the blessing of knowing Jesus in deeper ways than I have ever known him before. I hope and pray that it has been so for you. And the purpose behind my choice of this book so many months and years ago was to found our relationship as believers in this church on the Christ of the Scriptures and on the cross of Christ, His mighty cross work. And I believe we've, we've seen the Holy Spirit do that through the time that we've been in this wonderful gospel together. I wanted it to be foundational for, for all else that follows upon it, both in, in, in my relationship with you and in spiritual leadership, but also in everything else we ever study together from the Word of God. And I pray that it has built that foundation and that we will look always back to the life and the gospel of Jesus as we look into His Word together in the future. You know, I'm going to be taking a little time off here beginning this next week, but when I return, I'm going to be going into a First John with you, a New Testament epistle study and a study that I've entitled Classic Christianity. So we're going to move into that domain of Bible knowledge together, but today the completion of Luke. We're going to be moving into this, and 
It is, uh, it's a time in which Luke brings this wonderful story all together like a good writer would. It's a fitting conclusion to an epic story, wouldn't you say? A marvelous story. And Luke, a marvelous storyteller. Uh, there are contrasts that we've seen. Luke, more than any of the other gospel writers, took us into the humble beginnings of the Lord Jesus Christ in his walk upon the planet, the wonderful birth story of Jesus, his descent from the heavenly throne room. And now in these last verses, we see Luke uh, giving us in, in a short description, Christ's ascent back into the heavenly throne room to the heaven that he left for you and for me. So Luke began with, beautiful stories and deep descriptions of what theologians call the humiliation of Jesus, his setting aside the exercise of certain of his attributes and qualities and powers as God, and his, the incarnation and, and being brought to earth and taking on humanity, 100% God, also 100% man, this marvelous story, the human unfolding of it, and through all the chapters after that, the journey to the cross, and the mighty cross work itself. So he began with the descent of Christ. He ends with the ascension of Christ. He began with the humiliation of Christ. And today we see the final moments of his exaltation back into heaven. That's interesting. The ascension is a great doctrine, but it is only treated in the New Testament in, in, its, in terms of describing it with seven verses. Can you believe it? And all of that really written by Luke. Seven verses, just a few verses here. And then as we're going to see also a portion of Acts chapter one, where Luke gives us the story again, and we'll go into that today. And he adds some angelic detail to it, as you may remember. So it's not really built out a lot in Bible truth. It's little understood by many believers. In fact, if you haven't been part of a ministry where the Bible is taught uh, book by book and verse by verse, this might be, however long you've known Jesus, this might be the first message specifically on the ascension of Christ you may have ever heard. I haven't heard many in my time being under good Bible teaching. So it's sparsely described in the Bible. It's little understood by many believers, but it has a massive impact on our walk today. It had a massive impact on the planned ministry of Jesus Christ from all eternity. Of course, it had a massive impact on opening the doorway to our eternal future and our own resurrection and future joining of, of the Father in glory. But it also altered the everyday experience of every Christian who's ever lived. And so what I want to do is kind of open both of those doorways of understanding to you in the time that I have. Now I'm going to preach the message from two perspectives. First of all, we're going to go through the details of Luke's description here in Luke 24, 50 to 53 and answer the question, what can we see about the ascension? Just what are the details from the scripture? What happened in that magnificent moment? And then secondly, we're going to take a look at the broader Bible texts that, that reflect on the ascension and answer a second question. What can we know that the ascension provided for believers? 
How has it changed our walk before we even began walking with the Lord? Your walk with Jesus is altered from what it could have been had he not ascended. So there's some marvelous things that God completed when he brought his son to the throne room. Two perspectives, what we can see about the ascension from this text and what the the gathered Bible teaches about what we can know about what a difference it made. And I hope at the end of this, you're going to end up where I ended up in my study. When the disciples saw Jesus ascend, it says in verse 52 that they worshiped him. And I hope that you're going to finish this gospel with me and you're going to see into this great moment and that you are going to want to worship him too. So let's look at it from both perspectives. For the first perspective, we'll explore this this gathering of three verses. So here's the question. What can we see about the ascension moment? This didn't take long, but the disciples never forgot it. Now, again, I want to answer this first question, and I want to answer it from three points of view as you look at the passage. What can we see about the ascension moment, first of all, from the gospel story's perspective, how it fit into Luke's gospel, why he put it here here where he did, what were the events that immediately led up to it, so you see it in its whole context and how it all fits into this great story. Then we'll look at it from the experience of Jesus. What was it like for Jesus as he ascended? Why did he do what he did in this moment? What is it? What, what do we see about his actions that teach us? And finally, the disciples' responses. They were changed men by this time, having seen Jesus for 40 days in his risen, glorified body. But not only had they seen a miracle, God had worked a miracle in them. And they were different people than when Jesus had first appeared to them in the upper room as the risen Lord. We're going to talk about the fact that they were being launched out into the world with a great commission, and they were changed people. So let's first of all look at how the, what we can see about the ascension moment through the gospel story. You look at verse 50, and Luke is bringing it all to a wonderful close here, and he says, then he, Jesus, led them, the, the, the disciples, the eleven, out as far as Bethany. So when you look at that, Obviously, you're going to ask the question, what preceded the then? Because Luke's in a flow of events here, isn't he? A flow of experiences that he has been describing, particularly in chapter 24, which is his resurrection chapter. From 24 verse 1, the word then kind of refers back to that, but even further, I think it refers back to the very beginning of Luke's gospel where he said, I'm going to put into an orderly description all the things that I have learned about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for you. And he began that, and Luke's gospel is just kind of this wonderful, moving journey of the life of Jesus. So the then there summarizes everything Luke wrote for 24 chapters. The journey of Jesus, the agony of Jesus, particularly in the final chapters of Luke, where he made such a focus on the the cross work of our Lord and his trials and, and suffering for us, and the victory, the great resurrection victory. All of that is here. But particularly, I think the phrase then refers back to the time after Jesus had risen from the dead 
and that transpired from Easter morning to this day, which was some 40 days later. I don't know if you know that in your Bible. From when Jesus rose and appeared to the disciples in the upper room in verse 34, for example, 34, pardon me, verse 36, 40 days had transpired from that first appearance of Jesus in the upper room to the disciples in verse 36, 40 days between verses 36 and following and verse 50. Now, Luke fills this in for us in the, the, the first chapter of his next history book. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Does some of you know the other book he wrote? The book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, he, he kind of picks up the story as he wants to tell the flowing story of what God did next. In Acts chapter 1, he summarized the ascension again. And we learn in Acts that the ascension... Uh, was 40 days after the resurrection day. 40 days later, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke says, after his suffering, after the suffering of Christ, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's Acts 1, 3. So Jesus made multiple appearances to his followers over 40 days of time after resurrection day. Some Christians don't even know that until, well, you know it now, but a lot of believers don't know that. 40 days. We don't know how many times Jesus reappeared to the disciples. There were, there were the upper room appearances and other things, but we know that he appeared to them. And when he did, he went out of his way to show them that he was real. He was alive. He was physically resurrected. So important. You remember, he said to them multiple occasions, reach out and touch me. See that I'm not some dreamscape. I'm not uh, a wandering, uh, migrating spirit. I'm here in, 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 in physical reality. We know that Jesus appeared to specific individuals on Easter day, of course. Well, we, we studied that already in Luke 24. To Peter, to the two on the road to Emmaus, we went into that wonderful encounter, didn't we? To Mary Magdalene and the other women in the garden, there were many other appearances. We know he made appearances to the apostles and the, uh, on, on Easter night. We studied that earlier in Luke 24. A week later, he appeared to the disciples again. And Thomas, you remember that part of your, your Bible? And then uh, at least another time to some of the disciples on the shore of Galilee when they'd gone fishing and he calls Peter fully back into a ministry of spiritual leadership. What a beautiful moment that was. There were evidently other appearances over those 40 days, as is apparent from a summary that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul says Jesus appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom Paul said were still living when he wrote this some several decades, 30, 30 years later, perhaps after the resurrection of Jesus. And then he appeared to James, who was the brother of the Lord. And then, to, and, and then uh, the last of all, he appeared to Paul himself. So Jesus many times, but in the 40 days, he appeared and reappeared to the 11 disciples. And I believe probably many others. The women were in the room that evening when Jesus came and other disciples that we don't know the names of. So Jesus presented himself alive and with many different proofs. And it must have been an amazing time. Can't you imagine? I'm sure that after a week or two, the disciples were nudging each other saying, when do you think he's coming back next? 
When do you think we're going to see him again? I'll bet those guys all stayed together for 40 days. You can, I, I don't think anybody went on vacation. No, they made sure that they stayed together and they were expectant because they never knew the moment when Jesus would again come and bless them with his presence. Now, Luke also tells us that in Acts, sometime during those 40 days, Jesus enlarged on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he said, you, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. We studied that a few weeks ago for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And in Luke 24, he says in verse 49, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. In Acts chapter one, we find that they were actually going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We find more specifics there. And so they were waiting for that for 40 days. They perhaps didn't know exactly when that all would come. They just knew that Jesus might make another appearance. They gathered expectantly every single day, every single night. And they were in the temple and they were in the upper room praying and asking God for what he had next. So there were these appearances. It must have been an incredible time. Multiple appearances, compounded learning, Jesus teaching them more about the kingdom, more about his plans, and also, don't forget, more about the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Well, we already studied that a few weeks ago, where Jesus says, my suffering and resurrection have a divine purpose. Verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus repeated the Great Commission to them over and over again. So all of this was growing. Their knowledge was growing. Their awareness of how the Old Testament had predicted all of this as the text we looked at a few weeks ago says Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and they understood now clearly the promises of his suffering his cross work his resurrection his second coming all the great panorama of God's plan was being laid out to them and they began to understand it so that it was all coming into scriptural place in their minds at the same time he talked about a new plan the great commission and he said you are going to be my witnesses that's my next plan for you. And the great, beautiful time of teaching just kept going on. I'm telling you, if you were one of those disciples, you probably would not have wanted those days to ever end. And yet, here we see that after 40 days, you know, according to the, the time plan of God, he's going to leave. They didn't want those days to end. They were filled with excitement and growing vision. But God had a plan that was bigger than Jesus staying on the earth. Uh, he had a plan for greater blessing for the world through the gospel. Greater power through the spirit that he would send once he left. The spirit of God who would replicate the presence of Jesus through multiplied millions and over the sweep of history, I believe, billions of believers. For Jesus indeed had said, when I depart, greater things than I've done will be done through you. So they may have wanted those days to never end, but God had bigger plans for greater blessing to them, and greater power through them, and an impact that would go through the generations. And we're living proof of that impact today. But in Luke 24, verse 50, the, the age of the bitter crosswork is over and finished. And now the age of the Great Commission is going to begin, is really how this all comes down. 
But as I mentioned, they were different people now. They not only had seen him in his glory, they'd been taught by him over the days and weeks. The Bible had come together for them, and they'd been given one of the greatest of callings, the calling we've talked about all morning, the calling of bringing Jesus to the nations of the world over the stretch of human time until Jesus was going to come back the second time. And so I believe the moment was right, and now these disciples, and can we say we're finally right? Remember how much they missed? How much they misunderstood? How little they really got it? Well, now they're different. So the time is right, and the men are becoming right, and that's why in Luke 2450, Luke writes, then he led them out as far as Bethany. The right time had come in the gospel story for Jesus now to leave. And so he's going to leave them. Now let's go and see what the actions of Jesus from this passage tell us about what we can learn about the ascension. He led them out, the 11. They walked out of Jerusalem, maybe from that upper room where he appeared yet another time. And he said, guys, I know you're, you're looking for more teaching and you're just still astounded to see me when I just show up in the middle of the room. But today there's something different. I'm going to lead you out to Bethany and the Mount of Olives. Today I'm going to go back to heaven. So he led them out down the winding streets all the way to that very familiar place where they'd been with him night after night during his earthly ministry, night after night, uh, learning from him and being with him. And now they go to the familiar place that would be the place not only where he goes to heaven, but the angels tell us the place where he's going to physically return to the planet. What an important verse this is. So I'm going to simply follow the key words through and we'll take a look at what we can see from the actions of Jesus. It says that he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. I don't know if I was writing the Bible, I sure would have, I, I would have wanted to know what the words of that blessing were. Wouldn't you? But they're not here. The last words of Jesus all the other words that of Jesus that have been recorded in the Gospels, repeated in the Gospels, I'm sitting there saying, Lord, why didn't you tell us what you said to him? But he chose not to. Different Bible commentators have cast back and forth about what it could be. I read one commentator this week that, that simply said, Jesus just signed with his hands, sort of like making a holy symbol, and I threw that one out right away. No, I don't think so. Some other, uh, other commentators I read said perhaps Jesus uh, gave them the ironic blessing once again, the, the blessing that God had told Aaron to give to the people back in the Old Testament. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. That's become a resurgent and very popular blessing in our modern uh, hymn culture and, and praise worship culture and I don't know, but I kind of doubt it because that's, that's an Old Testament blessing. And actually, there were some conditions to some of that. It was a blessing that God would fully honor if Israel remained obedient. And there were times when Israel didn't. And there were times when God hid his face from the people. So that was a, a different blessing for a different time. But now they're entering into the new covenant. They're entering into the time that's, that's on the other side of the cross. And and I think this blessing, if I, if I were to cast my guess as to what he said to them, 
I think he would have just pronounced the blessing of what he had done and what he was promising. I think as he rose, he blessed them and and must have said to them, may you live in the power of what my cross has done for you. May you understand the blessing of total justification that my cross has purchased for you. May you understand that the power of total forgiveness that I purchased for you. May you understand the greatness of my sacrifice and may you be blessed in power as you share it with others. So I think the power of his cross work must have been in the words of that blessing It was the most important thing. But not only the power of the cross, I think he must have have spoken to them about the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He'd spent that time telling them, the Holy Spirit is going to come when I go. And when he comes, he will pour comfort and power and guidance and truth into your souls. He'll be everything to you invisibly that I was to you physically. And I think he must have blessed them and reminded them that as I'm going, oh, don't wait, he's coming. That's my best Bible teacher's guess. The power of the cross and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I sat there in my study and realized, you know, that's not just a blessing he could give to those guys. I think that's a blessing that I have as a believer today. Do you realize that? What blessings do you have as a believer that will never change? It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your physical health. It's the power of the cross in your life and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are those things still true of every believer in every age? You better believe it. The cross is our great treasure. It guarantees our acceptance with God and our future in heaven. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is is his presence until we see him. And it's the privilege of every believer. So you live in blessing, Christian. And I want you to remember that. So he lifted up his hands. He blessed them. That, that's my best guess as what, as what could what be what a part of what he said. While he blessed them, then it says he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is the visible rising of Jesus from the ground that they were there on the Mount of Olives, slowly up into the sky. Now notice he didn't part from them as he had parted from some of them before. How fast did he part from the guys on the road to Emmaus? Oh, this wasn't that. This was designed in a a certain way to be momentous. This was designed to be witnessed, to be seen. It was a moment. And I, I see several things here. First of all, I see that it was personal in the sense that Somebody else was carrying him up into heaven. It says, it says he was carried up into heaven. The Greek language is what they call a divine passive. It means that God the Father took his son in his tender hands, if you will, in a figurative way, and drew Jesus up through the sky back into heaven. It was personal. This wasn't some kind of reverse UFO sighting. Don't get in your mind that this was some kind of a kind of hover Somehow, God the Father wonderfully began to take his son back into glory. So it was personal. Secondly, this is weird to you maybe, but it was gradual. Because the Greek there that says carried up is in the imperfect tense, which means it took some time. It wasn't one of, like I said, it wasn't an immediate disappearance. They were standing there as close to Jesus as as, as the person that's in the the row in front of you. 
He stepped back from them a little bit and he lifted up off of the ground, but he was still visibly and physically there. His body didn't change. He didn't become a ghost. None of that happened. The physical Jesus that they had just had their hands on his shoulder up just started to move up and they they watched him and it was slow and it was gradual. That's how the Greek text tells us it happened. So it was personal, but it was gradual so they could take it all in. They would never miss this and never forget it. It was physical also. Jesus didn't change his form. He was was in his glorified but physical body. Now, why is that important? Because when you get get to heaven, you're going to be in a glorified physical body too. Oh, you're not? Is that just me? Yes. Personal, gradual, physical, and it was celestial because that glorified body just started to move up. And then it says into heaven. What's that the place of? Glory, a totally different place. Now, some people look at this and say, well, Jesus just went up into the the atmosphere somewhere. How dumb can you be? (laughs) No, into heaven, into the throne room of God, into the place that he had said to the Father in his prayer life in John 17, Father, I can't wait to get back into the heaven to taste the glory that I had with you before the world was. It's not some atmospheric place. He's in the throne room of God. That's where he is today. And that's what heaven is referring to there. So I would use the word celestial. Now, when you think about it, that's my destination and yours. We're headed there someday. Now, the rapture may happen. You'll get your resurrection bodily and body immediately. First John 3 says it'll be just like the body that Jesus had, and you will be in the presence of the Father. That, that could be it. That, that, that could happen today. Praise the Lord. But then it, let's say, you, let's say you, the, you die before the Lord returns in the rapture. Your spirit goes to be in the presence of the Lord. But when the rapture happens, boom, you get that body and it's just like his glorified body. So you're going to be in heaven the way he is. Some of you are not excited about it. I'll take over. I'm very excited. <laughs> Some of you like this place too much. Oswald Sanders said this, Jesus was taken up into heaven by the gentle hands of the Father, and today he stands holding the door open for us. So that's what I see in this passage, just from the simple words. And then thirdly, what do we see from the reaction of the disciples? That's that's verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God Again, let's just follow the words. They worshipped him. Now you look at that. Don't miss this. That was kind of a new thing for the disciples. Because up until now in most of the gospel narratives, as Jesus taught the depths of truth to them, as he made promises for them, as he predicted the future to them, they did not respond in worship. Most of the time we find the gospel writers saying the disciples wondered and didn't understand. Or... They feared. Isn't that true? And finally, in the latest hours, they fled. It's interesting. Bible students have pointed out that this is the first time in his gospel that Luke uses the Greek word for worshipped. First time. It was not only new to Luke, it was new to them. But they went from people who didn't understand anything 
to men that were beginning to understand everything. They went from people who were fearfully living in the moment, terrified when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father's house. Now they are living in worship. How can you explain that change? Because now they knew what the Bible says, that all of this is what God fully promised, and that he's fully God. But he also said, if I go, I will come again. And all of this over those 40 days had settled into their mind. And they knew that this was promised by God, but that Jesus is fully God, and that if he leaves, he's coming back. And it overwhelmed them, and they just worshipped him as the Lord. I just love that. Like I said, they were beginning to become changed people. It says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, why did they do that? Because Jesus had told them to do that. Earlier in our chapter, he says, don't you leave Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, which we know from Acts 1, uh, verse, ver, ver, you go to Acts chapter 1, and we know that Luke says that that was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And G, in fact, Jesus just amplified it here, and the angels talked about it as well. So th- there's, there's this wonderful promise that's coming. They returned in obedience to wait for the Spirit, and the Bible says they were filled with joy, not fear. Why? Because this time they did know he was coming back. If that wasn't enough, the angels reminded them in Acts chapter 1, in, in the other description of the, of the ascension that we have, the, the, the fullest description, it says in Acts 1.9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, just like I said, by, by the Father's power, and a cloud, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, and I, I believe, the glory of God just took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, and of course, your eyes wouldn't want to be taken off of that. You're seeing the one you love, and then all of a sudden this, this, this luminous glory cloud. You'd never seen anything like that in your life. It was there, and as they're just kind of, boom, two angels show up again to explain what they just didn't quite get. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So why were they rejoicing? They knew who was leaving, and they knew he was coming back. So they went rejoicing back to Jerusalem, and they knew that between his leaving and his coming back, somebody else was coming, the Holy Spirit. All of it came together. Well, that's what you can observe if you just look at the passage. Let me finish with the second question. What can we know the ascension provided? Like I said, not a doctrine that's described a lot in the Bible in in the Gospels, but a doctrine that's reflected upon a lot in the Bible in other places. And it provided some new realities. Three great new realities for Jesus and many great new realities for the everyday believer. And I'm going to bring it to a close with this, so stick with me. Three great realities then came into play for the Lord Jesus. Here they are. First of all, what the ascension meant was that his cross work was finished. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
praying to his father, said in John 17, For Father, I have glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. What was he talking about? The cross he was going to die on. The cross work. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that when Jesus stepped into the throne room in heaven, a nanosecond after the ascension, he walked into that throne room and his work was recognized as finished. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, we read this. Every priest stands daily at his service, talking about the the Jewish priests in the temple who would come and make their sacrifices daily. And I'm gaining an insight from this text that they stood daily offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. In, In the holy place there, as they moved into the middle of the temple, there was a lot of different furniture. There was the showbread, there was the the candelabra, there were other things, but there was one thing that was absent and that was a chair to sit on. The priests moved and stood around their work because their work was not finished. Take a look at what happened when Jesus entered. Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, the cross work, the work that the Father had given him to do, John 17, 4, as he came back into heaven, he sat down. The sign that his work was done. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Why was he doing this? Verse 14, for by a single offering, his crosswork, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What did the, what did the ascension bring to completion? His crosswork, it was finished. And now he's in heaven being honored for it. Second, his humiliation had ended. We talked about that theological word that meant all, this, all the suffering that he endured, all the limitations he accepted, all the abuse and the, the experience of a holy God walking in a sinful world added, added on to that the torment of the cross. His humiliation had ended. He said in John 17, Father, for, for I said, Father, I've glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 17, 5, he says, and now glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was looking forward to Ascension Day. Don't miss it. For the joy set before him on the other side, when he walked back into heaven, he endured the cross and despised the shame because he knew that Calvary was followed by his ascension. And he was looking forward to striding back into the great, great courtroom of heaven and to the courtyards of heaven and getting the, the worship and the honor and all the glory that he had had as God before he ever left. I love that. Earlier it was mentioned in Philippians that that honor is now his. Philippians chapter 2 is the verse that I had asked to be read. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's his whole life story in Luke chapter 1 to chapter 24. Therefore God has highly exalted him. What's that talking about? Ascension day and every living moment since then in heaven. God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Wow. So the coronation of Jesus began when he moved into heaven. And I think it finishes 
when all the nations, it says in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's yet future. So the glory is just going to build and build and build. So that's the third thing. His coronation has already begun in heaven, and the glory is just building I don't know what kind of insight they had on that, but they did worship him. It's a wonder we don't. That's the Jesus that's in heaven for you today. That's the Jesus that's coming back soon. Is that the Jesus you worship? So those are three great realities for Jesus. The ascension assured us that his cross work was finished, his humiliation had ended, and his coronation had begun quickly to us. There are so many ways in which the ascension impacts the believer. I studied at least a dozen, but here are just five for the sake of time. And there, it's sort of in an order, but what does the ascension mean for you? Number one, it means that Jesus Christ has triumphed over Satan. Make no mistake about it. He has triumphed over Satan. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus Christ appeared to destroy the works of the devil. How is, going to, how is he going to do that? Promised in the very first part of the Bible, Genesis 3.15, that one day through his great cross work, he would crush the head of Satan. I think the ascension was the moment when Jesus just walked over the head of Satan. On the cross it happened, but he kind of finished trodden his ugly, gnarly head as he left. It's a picturesque way of I look at it. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 2 tells us even more about this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, the incarnation and the humiliation, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I think the ascension is a great exclamation point upon the fact that Christ's cross work and ascension now have destroyed the power of the devil to keep you in hell and the power of the devil to use death over the life of a person. Turning to Jesus destroys all of that that the devil had. That seems to me that, that I can battle and pray with confidence. I'm praying to a Jesus who sits at the right hand of God the Father. Second, uh, the, the ascension made possible his sending of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, back in the Gospel of John, had predicted this when he started to talk with them earlier about the fact that he was going to go and, and, and depart from them. In John chapter 16, he says in verse 5, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going to ascend soon. I'm going to go back into the heavenly throne room. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They were not getting it at that point. Sorrow has filled your heart that I'm going to go back to the Father. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Finished on Ascension Day, for I did, if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
So the ascension marked the moment when Jesus Christ entering the heavenly throne room would send the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit in a visible way. Ten more days later, when they were praying and expecting and asking God to work, we call it the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit has dwelt in believers in the church age ever since. He dwells in your heart as a believer today. Everything that Jesus was visibly to them, the Holy Spirit is invisibly to you. And so that could not have happened if Jesus had stayed, but God had something greater in mind. That's why Jesus said in John 14, that greater works than I do shall you do. God is going to multiply my presence through the Holy Spirit and multiply millions of lives over thousands of years to draw in my harvest until the day when my work is done through you. I think that crystallized in their minds. That's one of the reasons they were excited. Quickly, thirdly, It inaugurated his leadership of a new thing called the church. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, take a look at this beginning at verse 19. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? What's that talking about? Resurrection day? Ascension day, and now Jesus being in heaven, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put, and he put all things under whose feet? Christ's feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus now is the head of a new thing called the church. He's part of that in your life today. You're experiencing that today. None of that would have happened if the Ascension Day hadn't completed this whole work of God. He had always that, always had that in mind, the greater things. Fourthly, his high priestly work began in earnest. What does that mean? Jesus, when he walked back into heaven, began a new ministry over your life of praying for you of interceding for you. Romans 8.34 says he has now been raised. That's the resurrection. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's ascension where he intercedes for you. That's a precious ministry that he has. When you don't know how to pray for yourself, guess who's praying for you already? The Lord Jesus at the right hand of power. When you don't know how to pray for somebody else, guess who's praying for them already? The Lord Jesus at the right hand of power. He's your high priest now. Hebrews again, back to Hebrews chapter 4 this time. Precious, precious truths about the ascension. Hebrews chapter 4, and look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Ascension day, moving into the great throne room of God. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, 30 plus years in the humiliation, the incarnation, tasting everything that you taste about being pressed to sin. But now he's in heaven for you, and he's carried the memory with him, if you can can imagine that. Now let us 
would then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Confidence in what? Confidence that he knows what you're going through. Confidence in, in, in that he knows how to pray for you. And confidence that he's paid for you and bought you so that you are freely in his presence and he loves you without reservation so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the second thing you can be confident about. Every time you go into the presence of God, his, his ministry to you is going to be filled with that mercy and that grace. What does that mean about your life as a believer today? I'll tell you what, it means you can take every sorrow and every sin to the throne without fear. That's why the ascension is so important. He's there now. He was here for you then. He's there for you now. It changes the life of the Christian. And as I close, finally, finally, the ascension assures his certain second coming. Jesus departed to return. Acts chapter 1, what did the angels remind them about? They cast the disciples' eyes into the future. Why you stand looking into heaven, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What's happening between now and then? He has a people to win. He has an Israel to bring back the faith toward the end of his timeline. Finally, then, he'll have a world to judge for its rejection of him. <laughs> a new heavens and earth to make, and then an eternity to be with you. But between now and then, there's so much that has to happen. But he will be coming back. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a moment. And what a master. So I would say through all of this that Luke sure knew how to write a book, didn't he? Hmm? But of course he had the greatest of subjects, the Lord Jesus. So it's been pointed out by many that have looked at this great book that now we end in chapter 24 having kind of come full circle. One author put it this way, the story of Jesus began in heaven when he left and came to earth and it ends here when he leaves earth to return to heaven. The story began with condescension and ends with ascension. It began with incarnation and ends with exaltation. It began with expectation and ends with consummation. It began with the Son of God being born of a virgin descending to earth, and it ends with the Son of God being born from the dead, <laughs> ascending to heaven. The story began with hope unrealized and ends with hope fully realized. It began with a promise and ends with a fulfillment and a brand new promise. And because of the ascension, we can truly say the best is yet to come. <laughs>